Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. My name is Nicky and as always, I'm joined by the man who is currently in Scotland. Let's hope when he comes back, they don't give him a Glasgow send-off. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you doing, Greg? I mean, I was going to say you were in Glasgow, but technically you're in Cumbernauld yeah. and it doesn't work. Unless you can tell us what's in a Cumbernauld send-off. Um, I don't know. Uh, something that was invented in the 1960s. I imagine since uh, almost all of Cumbernauld's, ironically, apart from the bit that I'm currently in, is a prefab new town. Um, I'm in the village, like the original bit in my dad's house that I've been for the last nine days doing my self-isolation. Nobody has called from, I guess it will be the UK border people. Nobody is called to make sure that I'm following the rules. It appears to be done entirely in trust. I sent away I sent away both PCR tests. Like if I did the first one on day two, I did the last one yesterday, they both come back negative. So I'm looking forward to getting out and about. It's very strange to be here all this time and, and not go anywhere or really or see many people. So I can imagine so. And you must be dying for a as we discussed on the last episode at great length, you must be dying for a nice pint of tenants. Yeah. Uh have you had a rolling square? Have you had a scotch pie or anything? Yeah. Have you, have you been able to sample those delights? I haven't. The only thing, the only two things that I've had is I had, my sister got me a bottle of the 1910 recipe iron brew, glass bottle. Oh yes, lovely. Um, which I enjoyed. Uh, you know, I, ironically considering I work in food, I don't have the greatest palate, but I think it's slightly less sweet than the current, than what the normal stuff. And the other thing that I've had that I was looking forward to is um, some Marshall's macaroni cheese uh, just the heat up in the oven stuff okay. with some I had it last night with some oven chips the salt and vinegar on my oven chips it took me back to Saturday nights at my granny's in the 1980s watching Airwolf and the A-Team and stuff like that having my macaroni and <laughs> macaroni cheese and chips off my knee very nice oh well so it's, it's not as if you can tell us all the exciting things that you've been up to in Scotland since you haven't been able to get out but, no. and, but you've been catching up with some Scottish TV, I would imagine. I have. Um, I've been taking advantage of having the BBC iPlayer at my fingertips without having to use a VPN. Um, so I've kind of burned my way through uh, two doors down, all of it. Now, I've been watching it anyway, sort of off and on in um, Dubai, but I've been watching it on my phone because the, my VPN app is on my phone. I need to work out how to put the VPN on my computer or so I can stream to the TV. So I haven't watched all of it, so I just kind of burned through it all. So I'm, I'm all caught up with two doors down. So I'm hoping that we can um, we can review some of that in the future. And I've been watching um, Rab Florence's, or the rather the the Burniston boys' um, new show that's on BBC at the moment, uh, the Scots, which we we're just discussing before we started recording. Oh, fantastic! Well, I'm glad you've been catching up with some good Scottish content that we can maybe review at a later date on this Wally. But in the meantime, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland? I mean, I, I could just literally ask you since you're there, but unless you can tell me what's been happening out your window, then maybe we should have a look at the news. Let's look at the news. Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen out the window this last week that has caught your eye? <laughs> well, so I I was looking at the news today, um, so I left it 
not quite the last minute. I was I was looking for stories this morning, and we've said it before, but I don't think the Scottish news has ever been quite as depressing as it is at the minute. However, I did yeah. manage to find one story which doesn't involve a girl hitting another girl and blaming it on a pot noodle. Um, listeners will be pleased to know. I've got a wee feel-good story as well. So my first story concerns a TV show that I know that you and your lovely wife are big fans of, uh, The Great British Bake Off. Oh, I love The Bake Off. It's starting again next week. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Scottish Great British Bake Off fans are apparently fuming because there are no Scottish contestants picked for the new series. <gasps> Last year's... Now, so there's a typo in here. I don't watch The Great British Bake Off, but I know that it started on the BBC and has since moved over to Channel mm-hmm. 4. This journalist is not... Yes. This journalist clearly not up on um, current events with the Bake Off. So they've said last year's series of the hit BBC series saw Peter Sawkins, an accounting and finance student from Edinburgh, take home the Bake Off crown, whilst Laura Adrington and Dave Friday finished as the runners-up. As well as becoming the show's youngest ever winner at only 20 years old, he was also the first Scottish winner in the show's decade-long history. This year, the show returns for its 12th series on the 21st of September, and we'll see contestants with backgrounds in Goa, Germany, uh, Greece, as well as Cyprus, Kenya, Portugal, and the Middle East. However, despite its diverse lineup, it seems to be suffering from a distinct lack of Scottish, Northern Irish, and Welsh contestants. A fact which it will come as no surprise to you, hasn't gone unnoticed online. One unhappy Bake Off fan said, Lots of international flavours there. Pity not one single person living in Scotland, Wales or Ireland. Needs to be renamed the Great English International Bake Off. Another added, another added, I'll still watch and enjoy, hashtag GBBO, but it does seem odd that the Great British spelt in capital letters, Bake Off has no... Comp- oh my God. <laughs> ...has no competitors based in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland this year. Presume applications were looked at blind to location, and it's just pure chance. But still, in a third remark, so much for the great British, again, capital letters, Bake Off, no representation from Scotland. Surely it shouldn't be difficult for Channel 4 and British Bake Off to choose at least one representative from every nation every year. Hashtag GBO. GBBO hashtag Bake Off and someone asked does anyone know why there are no Welsh Irish or Scottish folks in the Great British Bake Off this year hashtag GBBO <laughs> hashtag Bake Off hosts Paul Hollywood Prue Leith Matt Lucas and No Fielding will all return this year for the show which sees everyone from a 19 year old vegan psychology student from Yorkshire up to a 70 year old retired nurse and midwife from Dorset competing for the crown so what do you think about that do you think this is Channel 4 anti-Scottish prejudice because a Scottish guy won last year they couldn't bear to see us win something twice in a row I think this is the perfect opportunity Nicola if you're listening and I know you do listen to the Swally Nicola you need to put adverts for independence on Channel 4 during the Bake Off and that'll get, because people will be fired up and it's just like putting Braveheart on as well. People will get fired up and they'll be so annoyed that the Scots aren't making their flans and their breads and their soggy bottoms that people will want independence on this. Oh, what a load of shite. Yes, okay, it was a Scot that won it last year. I was very proud and I was supporting him from the off because he's Scottish and it's the same with all these things. But first of all, I do think there is a lack of Scottish representation in a lot of these shows. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of The Apprentice, for example. I think there's only been maybe like two, three Scottish contestants over the course of the years and they've all been 
fucking idiots. <laughs> Things like X Factor and stuff, you'd get the odd token Scott. Oh, do you remember the McDonald brothers? Wonder whatever happened to them. But what about the wee what about the wee Scottish guy Liam that won the X Factor? Was it Liam from Livingston? I think yeah, was it L- I think it was Leon. Leon, that's it. Yeah, Le- Leon from Livingston. Yeah. yeah. And then and then don't forget, of course there was Darius as well. Darius. He was in Pop Idol. Yep. And um and then of course you had the first winner of Fame Academy was David Sneddon. That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, Scottish, he's become a very successful songwriter. Yeah. I do think you do get maybe one or two. I see what people are complaining about. I remember, you know, on the last series, there, there was a Scot, there was an Irishman, there was, um, I'm sure there was Welsh as well. You know, everyone was kind of covered. Yeah. I think what they have to remember as well is that there's obviously restrictions again this year in terms of they've got being like a COVID bubble and stuff. So maybe getting from Scotland down to England wasn't as easy. And it makes things a bit more difficult in terms of being able to have a Scottish representation. Or it could be that they are just thinking, well, a Scot won it last year. We can't have another haggis munching kill. <laughs> to be fair to Peter, pretty much every cake he baked had a Scottish twist right. on it, which was fantastic. Right, right, like yeah. it was, it was really good to see, you know, like bread week, he made like a fourth road bridge out of bread and stuff. And it was, oh, it was incredible. It, he was, yeah, very, you know, even on the, was it, it was like the first week you had to make like a mould of like one of your heroes right. and stuff, like a famous hero. And he, he made a cake and it was Chris Hoy. And it was like, oh, you know, that's, that's lovely. You know, everything had to have like a Scottish part to it. Okay. You know, it's it's fair enough. I did read a little bit about this today because I, I gleefully liked the outrage of uh, the Daily Mail readers in terms of the... And it was very much, as you say, it's a very multicultural um, series this year because it, it, a lot of people from different places. So you can imagine it was just like, oh, you know, I thought this was the great British bake-off yeah. in capital letters and then speaking about, is this what Brexit has got us? And someone say, like, gold star to whoever successfully completed this box ticking exercise you know get a grip <laughs> was, was <laughs> it's it fucking ridiculous it's 2021 I, d- I don't know if you noticed but like as much as it was um what was his name what is it? Is it, uh, peter's victory i was claiming it for scotland you know what i mean we mm. we, we won it last year they can't they couldn't bear for us to win it two years in a yeah. row but you, you have to latch on to these things we well, don't win an awful lot you know and it was lovely to see as well i, I believe it was the the National Television Awards the a couple of nights ago and the Bake Off won an award and they had the contestants from last year's show there like a few of them mm-hmm. and Peter was there and he was in his kilt ah. and it was wonderful to see Peter in his kilt up there collecting the award but yeah no it is but it's a small victory as you say what have we got to be fair as I say we've got David Sneddon we've got Peter from the Bake Off and we've got Leon from X Factor. Oh, Michelle McManus as well. Oh, yeah. Forgot about her. How could you forget about Michelle? I know. Uh, yeah, she won. She won the pop idol. Remember, she, remember when she won it and uh, Pete Waterman stormed off in a huff? <laughs> she won it. <laughs> See? And it's because of her, probably, Susan Boyle didn't win Britain's Got Talent. Maybe. I think she just wasn't uh, Peter's idea of a pop star. And uh, and apparently is nobody else's, and she hasn't had a record out in years, has she? <laughs> no, I think she's she's quite successful though. I think it's like a, she's a radio DJ or something, isn't she? No, yeah, she did that. She, she had she a did that Scottish lunch show with a guy that used to be a DJ in Radio Clyde, but like on the TV. I remember when she was on the campaign. Um, I can't remember who she was. Was she not up against the two guys that ended up being like children's BBC presenters? I can't remember their names. Oh Jesus! Now I was trying to think who was she up 
up, I guess. I think so. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, they or, weren't a double act in the show, were they? It was Sam and Mark. Sam and Mark. I think she was up against but, Sam for the for the final. The littler one. Yeah, I think so. And or the big one. She was campaigning as they, they were both campaigning before the final. And I used to work at a restaurant on Paisley Road in Glasgow at the time, and uh, she came in for lunch with like people and stuff because she was I think they they probably would have sent Sam back to I think he came from Newcastle remember right so Sam was no doubt campaigning around there and she was obviously campaigning around Glasgow in Scotland and she came in for her lunch and um, in fact no actually he must have been up as well because she asked the waiter she said do you have some cheese that you could give me so I could put it in his bus it's a bit of an inside joke between him and I so we gave her like a wee bag of grated mozzarella away with her I mean <laughs> That's what she said it was for, Nikki. She could have just <laughs> maybe she just wanted like a wee, a wee, a wee bit of cheese for the road. I don't know, but there was some joke that she was um, between her and uh, Sam. And uh, she wanted some to put on his bus. Yeah, th- that's right. They, c- they came to Glasgow together and then they went to wherever he comes from in England together to do a bit of campaigning um, before the final show to get public votes. Well, there we go. We now know Michelle McManus gets carry-out cheese <laughs> whenever she goes. She so, yeah, so that's that's my first uh, my first Scottish story. Feeling sorry for ourselves yet again. What's, um, what's your first story this week? Well, it's been a while, Greg. It has been a while. We have had a, a bit of time off from Falkirk for a while. <laughs> we have, actually. It's been ages. We're going to Falkirk. <laughs> uh, motorists in Falkirk area have hit out at Yobs, who have been launching dog shit at passing cars with one branding them Scotland's biggest dickheads. Now, before we go into this story, I will say I realise the dangers of this in the Swally, but how could we not cover this story? So, a number of vehicles are believed to have been hit from the Hamilton Road flyover on the M876 at Larbert over the weekend. Nobody was injured, and no accidents have happened as a result of the disgusting incidents, but locals have urged those responsible to stop before there's a bad smash. One man, who does not want to be named, said, I was driving back to Glasgow on Sunday afternoon after being at Vibration Festival in Falkirk for the weekend, and the next minute, something smacked my windscreen. It was covered in brown stuff. I pulled over, and as soon as it got out, I could smell it was dog poo. I thought a dog owner might have inconsiderately flung it over the flyover. Because that's what you do, isn't it? (laughs) But when when I looked back up, three lads were standing there laughing. I could see one of them getting ready to pelt another car. I tried calling the police, but the number was busy, and I was on hold for ten minutes, so I hung up. It's clearly a very dangerous game to play, and it's only a matter of time before somebody gets killed. One angry driver took to Facebook saying, The culprits that decided to take all the bags of dog poo from the bin and throw them onto cars on the motorway, you are officially Scotland's biggest dickheads. (laughs) Another said this could cause a seriously nasty accident, not just by vehicle swerving, but also serious skid mark risks as well. (laughs) A little joke there that I don't think the paper picked up on properly. Um, A third post said, that's vile. Police Scotland spokesperson said, we were made aware of items being thrown on the flyover uh, near Larbert shortly after 7.35pm on Saturday, the 4th of September. Officers attended, but the group had dispersed. Such behaviour is irresponsible, and we would encourage anyone involved to consider the consequences of their actions. 
So I would agree. It's not funny if it did. You're going to get a shock if you're driving down the road and a bag of shit hits your windscreen and you put on the wipers and it just smears brown shit all over. It is dangerous, especially if you're on the motorway. What strikes me is, I mean, it's it's kids having a bit of fun and a laugh, yeah. but they've gone to that dog bin and collected bags of dog shit and taken them to the flyover to throw. And we're complaining that kids are all busy playing their Nintendos nowadays and stuff or they're glued to their phones. This is old school fun. This is the type of shit I would have done when I was a kid. <laughs> if you pardon the bud. What, fish about in dog shit? Did they have dog shit bins when you were a kid? I would, no, dog shit was all white back in <laughs> yeah. my day. I wouldn't have been fishing dog shit bins, but you know what I yeah. mean? Stupid stuff like this. Like, it would have been like water balloons or something, or, okay, it's not harmless fun because someone could get injured, but I just love the, the thought of these three Neds on the flyover just lobbing packs of shit at cars. <laughs> cheering as they hit the windscreen it's, it's like something out of chewing the fat or something isn't it it's exactly what i was thinking of yeah it's something like that uh, these three guys so um if you are in falkirk just be careful in case your windscreen gets hit with a bag of shit <laughs> well, they... <laughs> i'm just glad it was dog it could have been worse it could have been human i know, I know. we can imagine like some guy with his tracksuit bottoms on his knees arse hanging over the flyover you know <laughs> well, just try to curl one out while he's made while his mate films it on his phone. Well, that's it. I mean, that would make a great TikTok video, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Landing bombs away. Yeah. Were they Iceland bags of shit? <laughs> Any chance? No, no. no it, uh, there's a photo on the... But I think it's a stock photo oh, yeah. they've put on and it is just a pile of, of dog bag. Yeah, bagged up dog shit. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. From from poo bags. So there must have been a, a special dog poo bin that they've raided. And, you know, hey, it's COVID, so they've, they've obviously not got much to do at the moment. Oh, we do love a bit of scat in the swag. We do like a good scatological tale. Yeah. So what else have you seen this week, Greg? My next story um, is actually quite a nice story. We've not had like a nice story for a wee while, but, but before I tell it, I'm reminded of uh, a tweet that I saw, I think, yesterday. Obviously, Glasgow has just been hosting the Transmit Festival there at the weekend, uh, the Transmit Mm. Musical Festival. Um, People who go to festivals uh, regularly will know that you can't take in your own booze. They want you to spend money inside the festival grounds on the most expensive pint of tenants that you'll probably ever buy in your life. (laughs) Somebody took a picture of a young guy who, uh, he had gone to the site of the festival, which was held at Glasgow Green at the weekend a few days ago before they started setting up and he buried a bottle of Buckfast <laughs> which he then proceeded to dig up after he got inside um, the Transmit Festival so I, I, I don't know who the guy was but if I was wearing a hat I'd take it off to you that is uh, that is good forward thinking on your part there yeah. young man He's been in all the newspapers. Is the, he? The, it went viral, and yeah, he's been branded an absolute legend. So, <laughs> good on him. So, so from one feel-good story to another, my next story is about Lego. The headline reads: Billy Connolly Lego raises almost ten thousand pounds for charity after it sold out. The collectible figures were a success, uh, with customers who queued around the block to purchase the limited edition pieces. As a wee picture here um, of Billy, quite a good little Lego likeness of him. He's got a his a top half says big banana feet and somebody has mm. somebody has sort of painted on the iconic uh, uh, banana shoes that you can see at the People's Palace in Glasgow on the bottom of the Lego Lego man's feet. It's holding a microphone. So it says Billy Conley's wee bigians 
Lego figures have raised almost 10 grand for a Scots children's charity. The tiny figurines of the comedy legends were specially created by the Buchanan Galleries for the children's for the Glasgow Children's Hospital charity. There were five different versions of Sir Billy, reflecting the different stages of his comp- of his career, comprising the musician Yin, the biker Yin, the actor Yin, the artist Yin, and the funny Yin. Uh, fans travelled from far and wide to purchase the limited edition Lego with only 575 single funny Yins and 57 of the full sets of all five having been made. Uh, it's wow. now been revealed uh, that 10 grand was raised for the Glasgow Children's Hospital charity with 100% of the proceeds from the wee big Yins going to kids across the city. The figures cost £10 each or £50 for a set of five and some individual ones are now available on eBay for as much as 20 times the price, which I can tell you I saw something wow. online somebody was quite outraged about that online the other day but you know that's all someone's always outraged about something online so i know that you're uh you're like a bit of lego um collectible lego i know you don't sit and play with it in the evenings but you've got your ecto-1 haven't you um oh no not no it's not ecto-1 it's the delorean you've got isn't it from back to the future no it's ecto-1 um yeah that's the only right. bit of lego that i've got oh is it ecto-1 i have thought you know the i like the i mean the firehouse i mm. thought about getting but that is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. And something like that, you build it, you'd have to get a display case and put it in. I did see, you know, the recent they've released the the Seinfeld set of Lego. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that would be nice. I'd like that. Seinfeld's probably one of my favourite shows of all time. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> You know, you build it, Gallus and dust. then you know, and I remember building that Ecto One. It was a bit of a pain in the arse, <laughs> to be honest. Like you're constantly searching for this one bit, and it does get quite annoying after a while. Yeah, I guess it's like doing a jigsaw. I have thought about it occasionally, but nah, I don't think I'd bother. But so these are just little figures. Just little they figures, don't yeah. Come with like a playset no. or anything. He doesn't come in like a, a Parkinson studio, no, or with Judy Dench or anything, or no, that, anything no, like no, that. No. Just just the figures. They're just uh, different versions of him throughout his career. Um, yeah, just a little mini figures. I know there's a Lego store in the Buchanan Galleries, um, so I think they've obviously the 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 shop, excuse me, the shopping centre and the shop have worked together to to produce them. But yeah, no, they're, they're I mean they are quite cool. Um, it'd be quite nice to have one of them. I, I used to have a, a Lego uh, Joker keyring on my car keys, um, but they get they get a bit mangled after a while in your pocket. You know what I mean, banging against your keys and stuff. Mm. So. And I mean, I remember a mutual friend of ours, uh, Aberdeen's newest uh, property tycoon, Brett Clark, uh, very kindly bought my daughter's, um, the Lego Simpsons house about, I think it was Mm. before I moved away to Kuwait, so it had been about six or seven years ago. And they were a bit wee at that point for that sort of stage of Lego, so I ended up building it for them. It took me two days to build it. Some very, um, obviously they wanted to play with it, so so there was some clear kind of ground rules put in place for them to play with it which to their credit despite being so wee they followed said ground rules took really good care of it then they had some mates round one day and it got fucking broken and I don't, oh, I no. don't think I've ever quite got over it because what happened what, what my wife did rather than get all the pieces and put it in a dedicated Lego Simpsons house tub she just flung it into the fucking general Lego population so oh no I've, I've attempted to rebuild it well not for years but like we moved to Kuwait the kids would sometimes ask me if we could build it again I've attempted to do it but because all the pieces are mixed up with loads of other Lego sets it just I just I've yeah. kind of I've kind of given up each time. Nightmare. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite 
painful uh, memory to recollect that actually so it's oh I'm sorry about that <laughs> oh well very good uh, yeah as you say if people are selling them for inflated prices hey good on them for getting them it's the people that are willing to pay yeah. the ridiculous money for them that's you know stupid in my opinion <laughs> yeah well exactly so what's your next uh, what's your next story this week well I don't want to stick on the scatological <laughs> manner but we kind of are in a way so this is from the Scottish Sun this week and the headline is lewd behaviour uh, a public toilet on a Scots island are forced to be closed for a very strange reason so uh, public toilets on the Isle of Mull um, and it's in Aros Park in Tobamori in the Isle of Mull, uh, a bizarre sign has appeared on the public toilets announcing their closure. This sign, and is an image taken by uh, a member of the public, shows this sign, which is on the door, and the toilets are indeed closed, and the sign says, these toilets are shut due to excessive dogging. Sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> Nearest toilets are at the Tomomori Harbour Building, and underneath is the official logo of the uh, the Land Department and the uh, Isle of Mull Council. The sign's been typed up, and it's been laminated, so it seems to be quite genuine. To be fair, excessive dogging has been written in in marker pen. So it could just be a joke, but it, it, it doesn't, you know, it's been laminated. So, um, yeah, apologies. They've been shot for excessive dogging. Polly Anna spotted this strange notice and posted a picture of it on Facebook on Friday, saying, I had a fantastic week in Tobamori. Uh, stayed in an amazing apartment in the harbour. My last day was made memorable by a walk to Arros Park. The post attracted over 150 likes with dozens of people commenting, what level of dogging is considered to be excessive? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Another comment is, this is just my kind of place. Dogging is fine, just not too much, okay? <laughs> and uh, another added, how forward-thinking toilets for dogs. That's not very funny. Yeah. A forestry and land spokesperson said, the toilets were closed because of a problem with the water supply. <laughs> Clearly some local prankster has had too much time on their hands. We have replaced the vandalised site. <laughs> so I would love the thought that this toilet was closed because of excessive dogging. But who on the Isle of Mull... <laughs> has decided that and it, it maybe is a standard sign these toilets are shut due to yeah yeah and they fill it in themselves so, so it would say damaged pipes you know water thing but someone scrubbed it out and put excessive dogging how much dogging is excessive do you think I don't know I mean it's obviously it's not something that I've ever ever been involved in <laughs> but uh I, I think I only heard of dogging when Stan Collymore was caught <laughs> dogging. And that was kind of what took dogging to did, um, the kind of public light in the UK, I think, did, wasn't did it? Did the actor who plays Phil Mitchell in EastEnders not get in trouble for dogging at one point or, or get caught in a sort of dogging area? I feel I read about that. I don't know. Uh, let's just say, um, Steve McFadden, we're not saying you were caught dogging. We would need to double check that. Let's double check it. Uh <laughs> Let's say no for now, but we will just check that. Uh, yeah, I know Stan Collymore was caught, and that was kind of when dogging came to mind. And then I did think, like, uh, oh, yeah, like, you used to see all those cars in the woods up at Hazel Head. I wonder if they were dogging. <laughs> I mean, we were up there because we were smoking pot in the cars, but I don't know what the other people were getting up to. We never looked. We should have. I can... I can we never flashed the lights, though. <laughs> I can confirm. Uh, I just found an article from the Daily Mirror in 2005, which reads, Dogging Steve's job is safe. EastEnders star Steve McFadden set to save his job despite being exposed 
as a dogging pervert. These are the words of the Daily Mirror, Steve McFadden. They are not the words of the Swally. Yeah, the BBC vowed to... Dogging pervert. Dogging pervert. They said his ex-girlfriend, they recalled Angela Bostock, who's also the mother of his two children, alleged that over a 10-year period... So Dogging's obviously been around for a while. This article was 2005. Um, Over a 10-year period, he enjoyed having sex in public, watched by strangers. Ah, so there you go. Old uh, Phil. Yeah, I, I might read that again, actually. I did read Stan Collymore's autobiography right. many years ago. Um, and I'm sure he does cover the dogging aspect <laughs> in that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does cover it. Yeah, he's quite open and honest about it. So I might go back and read that bit. Just a bit about the dogging, obviously. As, as, as much as it's not something they've ever done, they obviously know how dogging works. And you got to think, they don't really... None of the parties involved are really doing anybody any harm. Are they? Are they really? I don't, I don't think I are. guess the most damage you're probably going to do is if you're really going at it vigorously and you knock the wing mirror or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you break the glass. Yeah. If it, if because some of the old cars like the wing mirror, you know, if it bounces back, if you just hit it with a stray, stray flick of the wrist, stiletto or something, then it yeah. could, um, <laughs> yeah, it could go go horribly wrong. Um, yeah, I guess no one's really getting hurt, are they? Uh, I mean, so, you know, a bit of jizz on your velour seats, perhaps, but I'm sure it'll sponge out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so are we saying that at the Swally we are um, not endorsing as such, but we're we're behind dogging, are we? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we're just, I think we're just saying that we're we're all right with it <laughs> we don't cast any judgment on those involved in dogging unlike the daily mirror of 2005 clearly uh, the, the only other thing that i've seen this week and it wasn't so much the the start of the article this was from the daily record this week and aldi are now selling iron brew pakoras <laughs> that come with a so it's a chicken breast with uh, an authentic indian chili dip and it's with an iron brew batter. Now, we've covered kind of stuff like this before yeah. on the Swally in terms of this. But at the bottom of the article, it's just kind of a throwaway mention as well. And this, for me, was better than the Pakora. Um, Aldi are about to start selling Scotland's smelliest cheese. Renowned for its nutty and smooth taste, but perhaps better known for its pungent smell. What do you think this cheese is called, Greg? Oh, my, uh, the main boggles. I have no idea. They've literally called this cheese Minger. <laughs> it's produced by Highland Fine Cheeses, and uh, for 250 grams of Minger, it all cost you £2.29. Available in Aldi. Yeah, uh, can I have a... Uh, I'll have a 250 grams of Minger, please. <laughs> Smelliest cheese in Scotland. Yeah. That's a great name, uh, come on. Yeah, can I have that with your iron brew pakora? Yeah, kind of. See when you're out, can you bring home some Minger? Minger, my wife. I know, lovely cheese, lovely name for a cheese. I'll have to try some Minger. I wonder if the, they wouldn't sell it here. I wouldn't imagine. I'll have to uh, to see if next time. Well, you're in Scotland, so I you can get hold of some Minger <laughs> uh, and an iron brew pakora. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you got an Aldi near you? Yeah, probably. I think I think there's one in uh, Colsaith. There's either an Aldi or a Lidl in Colsaith, which isn't too far away I'll check with my auntie she lives in Colsaith so magic well maybe on maybe on the next episode of the Swally we can have a review of Minger <laughs> or at least that Iron Breed Pakora yeah a review of some Minger I'll get my auntie to go down and pick it up uh, anything else from your side uh, no no um, it's been a it's been quite a good news week all in all the, bo- yeah, all the boxes yeah it's been right quite light hearted we've had outrage we've had uh, we've had uh, open air sex uh, we've had a good shit story and um 
a good feel-good story and uh, an amusingly named food product, which pretty much is the entire Swally Gambit. And one of them was from Falkirk. There we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Falkirk for the bonus ball. <laughs> uh, right. Well, before we delve into the review, let's have a little word from our sponsor. The evening news birth section is the natural way to find out who's been born to whom, where, even how many. And when you become a proud parent, it's the obvious way to tell everybody local the good news. If it's in the news, it's in the news. Make sure of your delivery, six days a week. So it was your choice to uh, choose our content this week, Nicky. So why don't you introduce your choice? Thank you very much, Craig. I will. Well, the reason I picked this film is because I'd never seen it. And I'd read about it a a couple of times and I was very aware of the subject matter. But yeah, for some reason, this film had passed me by, which is something I seem to be saying quite a lot in the Swally recently. But I think it's because a lot of the films we've been doing have kind of been of a a similar era as well. So uh, yeah, today I would like to discuss the Wee Man, which is a 2013 Scottish gangster film directed by Ray Burdis and starring Martin Comston, John Hanna, Stephen McCall and Patrick Bergen. The film is based on the true story of notorious Glasgow gangster Paul Ferris. It, it follows Ferris's life as a young boy and growing up to be taken under the wing of Glasgow's godfather, Arthur Thompson, rising through the ranks in Glasgow's gangland wars. So, as I mentioned, first time I'd seen this film, Greg, but obviously I was very, I was aware of it, and I was aware of Martin Compson's work, and I'm aware of Paul Ferris as well, but you've seen this before, mm-hmm. reviewing for the Swally, had you? Yeah, I'd seen it a couple of times before. I saw it when it came out, not long after it came out. I've actually got it on DVD. I picked it up. I must have. Oh. I can't remember for the life maybe where I bought it. Um, but yeah, so I've seen it a couple of times before. Um, and I'm also quite aware of all the Paul Ferris, Arthur Thompson stuff. Um, I read uh, I read Paul Ferris's book years and years and years ago uh, when I first moved back to Glasgow called The Ferris Conspiracy, um, mm. which is which which was written with uh, Reg McCann. A local Glasgow crime writer that we'll maybe come on to later on. The title of the book sort of says everything about about Paul Ferris, and and it's and it's a notion that's um, it's a notion that is very much furthered in this film. I think that you know he's a he's he's always sort of painted himself as a kind of poor victim of circumstance, and uh, you know this movie, whilst it takes like some quite big liberties with um, the events that is based on, which it kind of has to because. Mm. The events that is based on, you know, are not particularly glamorous or exciting. Uh, yeah, I can imagine it's the, it's exactly the movie. If Paul Ferris, when he was in prison, was ever thinking, I wonder if they ever make a movie about my life one day and imagining what it would be like. I, I, I imagine this film was exactly what he would have envisioned back then. So yeah, because he is painted as a very. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say there? No, I was no. It's, go ahead. I was going to ask if you enjoyed the film, but just get, go ahead with your point. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed the film. Yeah. It, it, it's good to watch. I mean. It, it, you know, of course, anything Scottish. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get on to the performances later, but the actors, you know, if you're giving me Martin Comston and Stephen McCall and John Hanna, yeah. then I'm going to enjoy the, the film that it's in. I thought it was good. It's, I mean, I watched it twice with Swally and I would say I did enjoy it both times. It was interesting. It did have me engaged. Yeah. I would say, yes, it's very sympathetic yeah. towards Paul Ferris and it paints him, as you say, as almost, yeah, victim of kind of circumstance in the film he never actually really does well he does yeah one instance when he's 
younger mm-hmm. but in the later years you never actually see him really do anything as such in terms of you know so it, it's almost uh, well actually you know m- the, maybe when he the mass shooting go to the bank's brothers <laughs> yeah. yeah the mass shooting he's involved in that yeah. yeah but other than that it's kind of almost like you know he was just there or involved whereas that's not really the the true kind of story of Paul Ferris by all accounts he was um he was very much involved in quite a lot of things yeah i mean they you know by by his own admission you know like i, I watched um well, i guess not that um recent i think it's quite old but what's his name um irish guy under he used to do the undercover donald mcintyre did it mm. he, he, there's there's one uh, which is about that he did which is about sort of crime in glasgow but it's kind of hung around it's sort of hung on paul ferris's story and uh, ferris is with him you know being interviewed and being a bit mysterious when asked certain questions about who assaulted who or who killed who and things like that. And you know, I mean, the one thing that he said in it was, you know, he said, "I don't," he said, "I don't, I don't think there's such thing as a good criminal." You know, I th- he said, "If there is such thing as a good criminal, then they're the ones that have never ever been caught." You know, so you know, and I've, I've seen Paul Ferris around a few times, like when I worked in Glasgow um, years ago, and I worked in the mm. restaurant. You know, occasionally he had been into, he was in. The restaurant now and again and you know he was just a regular guy very polite and pleasant to the staff you know didn't he wasn't like a it wasn't like an arse like i've seen some other people that have been around that kind of circle that behave like absolute pricks when they go out into restaurants and stuff you know so he, are you saying like michelle mcmanus <laughs> she's not involved in the glasgow on the world as far as we know you know they have seen some guys that are sort of reputed to be in that kind of world um that act like absolute arses when they go out for a meal or whatever and to be fair to Ferris, he wasn't like that at all, but he, I know that since he got released from prison, um, he's been involved in some quite a lot of legitimate businesses and stuff, and certainly on that documentary, uh, you saw him at home, and he's got a very, very nice house by the looks of things, um, which I can't imagine he would have been able to buy with the proceeds of his uh, of his dirty dealings, but I still think he likes, the, he likes to have at least a couple of toes in that world for the, state of, for the sake of appearances, you know what I mean? I, I think he likes his own, mm. he enjoys his own mythology yeah. when it suits him, you know? Well, he's released five books and he does always seem to do interviews a lot. And in the most recent interview, because they are making another film um, about this, his story, which is the reason that we're kind of doing this, because it was revealed that Paul Brannigan is going to play him in the new film. And I watched an interview with Paul Ferris from just last year and they were announcing that they were doing this kind of second film. Mm -hmm. And he did say, oh yeah, I don't think we'll get Martin Compston now. Like, I think he's probably going to be a bit too expensive for us because, you know, obviously Compston has effectively gone on to become like a BBC darling. Yeah, yeah. after Line of Duty and things. I, I don't know what that says for Paul Brannigan. <laughs> he's, he's cast him. Yeah. But you get the idea that Ferris is, yeah, it's going to be more of like a, a docu right, okay. in terms of, it's going to be like part film, part documentary, right. which I imagine Ferris will probably feature heavily as a talking head. Sure. He wants to co-direct it as well. Oh, so sake. yeah, you do get the idea that, that Paul Ferris does, yeah. he wants to be involved. And yeah, as you say, he... He likes the sound of his own voice by the sound of things and, and likes to get stuff across. Paul, if you're listening to this, I think you're great. Don't come after me. <laughs> but you do get the the sense of he has got his, his own importance. 
that he he thinks he's uh-huh. he should be the focal point of things. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, you know, he's he he's never shown any sort of contrition for any of the stuff that he's done. You know what I mean? He's you know when you see him being interviewed and things, he talks about you know it's well that's just just business. It's the way it was. Uh, blah blah blah. I mean, he, he mentioned a guy who he had stabbed on you know on okay on the orders of Arthur Thompson. Who it turned out that it was the wrong guy that Arthur had asked him to stab and he's like well you know that guy he's just a casualty you know and you know and to be fair I don't know about I don't know how much of that sort of perceived lack of contrition is again just playing up for the cameras maybe in his quieter moments he I mean, you got if you've spent like a, a good part of your life in prison for crimes that you committed, you're going to feel a bit. You know, I, I can't believe that you're going to look back with no regrets. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? On that, <laughs> and, and that's the thing, as you say in this film, it comes across completely differently uh-huh. in terms of Paul Ferris in it is very much no civilians. I know, yeah, and no one got hurt, and you're like, oh, that that's bullshit. So obviously, the film was it wasn't even filmed in Glasgow. No, it was filmed in London because Strathclyde Police and Glasgow City Council wouldn't allow permission for them to film it in Glasgow because it didn't paint the police in a very good light and I think they were probably a bit uncomfortable about it painting Paul Ferris in such a, a holy light as well. And you've got to imagine that, um, you know, for Police Scotland, as they are as they are now, you know, they, they're not going to want to be part of what they will see as, you know, like kind of glamorising any of the, anybody in these in the, in this film, you know, because, you know, the, obviously all the parts are based, all the leads are based on actual people, uh, real people. The, the only one of which who is still around is Paul Ferris. You know, Arthur Thompson died. Mm. Well, he, we see him die of a heart attack in the film, obviously. His son and uh, Frank McGraw died of a heart attack about 10 or 15 years ago as well. So there's nobody of the kind of the main figures in the movie to sort of talk to, you know, to kind of answer anything to this. So really, you know, like Ferris kids, if, if he's been a script consultant on this movie, he can, he can tell them anything he wants about those guys and about himself, you know. And I think it's a shame that it wasn't filmed in Glasgow. And I read in an interview with Martin Comston that came out around about the time of the release. And he did say his dismay at that as well. Yeah. But the main reason that he was upset that it wasn't filmed in Glasgow. And it's a very valid point is they've had to move to London. So think of all these Scottish crew workers mm-hmm. that are losing out on a wage packet. Yeah. And I mean, he wasn't effectively saying we're giving it to these London English boys, but do you know what I mean? It, it is you're pumping money back into the country and into the city yeah. by doing that and employing these people. Surely it makes sense. But I, I can see their viewpoint of, as you say, because this does paint a very sympathetic view yeah. of Paul Ferris. And maybe Glasgow wanted to dis- disassociate themselves with that and take a step back. It doesn't get a lot of um, media attention from the Scottish media really. Um, whenever there's a documentary about crime in, in uh, Glasgow that's been made by like a Brit- like a, an English or an overseas uh, production company, they, that's when he tends to pop up. He like, occasionally pop up in a newspaper. Uh, well, I don't know about now because I've not lived here for fucking years but like in the past he'd occasionally turn up about something related to something or other, you know, but for the most part the Scottish media really just kind of ignore him. Unless of course he's in the news for something that he shouldn't have done or 
said or whatever, you know? So, the, the structure of the film, it does jump about quite a bit in terms of it goes back to his childhood, then you see him in prison in kind of like the 89, 90, I think, mm-hmm. and then it jumps to him getting out of prison, and it, it's not quite clear initially. Yeah. Uh, so it does jump around a fair bit and could be a little bit confusing. I mean, I watched this with my wife, actually, and she was a little bit confused as well because the dates don't come up until slightly later. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of wondering, the scenes when he's in prison and watching it the second time, it became a lot clearer. Okay, it's this. We don't actually know what he was in prison for at that time, though. We know he did nine months, mm-hmm. but it's never actually explicitly said what he was in prison for. So obviously, to speak about, if, if we take this in chunks and we go to his childhood, first of all, obviously there's one part of this that I don't want to discuss. Of course. My wife actually said, why are you making me watch this? And I said, I did not realise this was in it. It's when the dog dies. And yeah, I don't want to discuss that at all. No. To speak about his childhood, um, very good child actor. Oh my God. Dennis... (laughs) I'm about to say Nielsen again. (laughs) Dennis Lawson. But we'll say Lawson. (laughs) He is fantastic as his dad. Like, he's such a kind, lovely gentleman. Now, Paul Ferris's dad was a bank robber. That's right. And was in jail for a lot of Paul Ferris's childhood. So, I'm not quite sure where this picture comes from, but having Dennis Lawson as your father and Claire Grogan as your mother. Yeah. Oh my God, could you wish for better parents? <laughs> I know. I mean, there, there is a bit of poetic license because I remember reading in the book that it was mainly just him and his mum and his brother Billy and his younger sister until uh, until his brother Billy went to prison. There's not a lot of mention about his dad, but he does mention in that documentary with Donald McIntyre that his dad robbed the post office or no or the, the post office or the bank at Ridgery which is the closest uh, to Barlini prison and that's where all the prison guards <laughs> payroll was processed where the wages came from and so they all they all never got their wages that weekend at Barlini but yeah I mean Dennis Lawson is a phenomenal actor and you know I don't don't see him. I mean, the last thing I saw him in was uh, he obviously famously played Wedge in the Star Wars, the original trilogy. And the last thing I saw him in was like a blink and you'll miss it um, pop up in at the end of the last Star Wars film when the big sort of space armada all kind of shows up. I mean, I think it, we obviously will do a local hero at some point in the future, but he's he's a brilliantly charismatic uh, actor, you know, and, he, and the kind of dynamic between him and uh, Claire Grogan is Mr. and Mrs. Ferris is absolutely brilliant. Um, I don't know if I buy all the like, the scene at the beginning with when he's when me Paul's looking out the window watching the police giving somebody a tanking, mm. um, and he's like, "Oh, Dad, the monsters and all that." And that you know, I think that that's when you realise that you know the script might be a bit wishy washy <laughs> for this film. <laughs> Maybe not the script per se, but the dialogue certainly. You know, yeah, that that part I could have done without. But the, yeah, the dynamic of him and Claire Grogan when he's hungover. And, and and shaving in the kitchen sink <laughs> yeah. and stuff and um and then of course you know the little playfulness they have together of when he's like if you see my wallet and what do you need your wallet for are you going to the pub <laughs> it's very nice the way it is and the line that he delivers when they're walking down the the street with with are, are we going to call him Paul Ferris or are we going to call him Martin Comston for the purposes of this review well doesn't we'll it? just call him Martin Comston yeah. when we're speaking about it yeah um when they're walking down the street together and he says everything all right son yeah fine dad and he's like well uh, just inquiring about that fucking carving knife you've got in your trousers. Well, how's it going, son? Hi, all right. You're okay. Fine, Dad. You sure? You still having trouble with the Banks brothers? How'd you guess? Couldn't help but notice a fucking great carving knife in your pocket, son. Oh, that? Oh, yes, that. <laughs> 
<laughs> the way it's delivered, it's it's so good, and you really like his character. And even later on in the film, when he gets assaulted, that's a, probably the second part of the film that I was like, oh no, don't do this, yeah, yeah. because he's such a, a lovable character, and just he just seems so nice and so lovely. Do you think that's what Paul Ferris has probably painted in his head, is this is what my ideal dad would be like? Yeah, yeah, probably. The whole shaving in the sink thing, I, th- I feel like we might have spoken about this before in the Swally, but my, my granda shaved in the sink, the kitchen sink, his whole life. And I never, yeah. I never understood why. Like there was a bathroom, like indoor bathroom, <laughs> you know, with a sink and everything. But for whatever reason, he always just shaved at the kitchen sink. Uh, but and got washed and everything. Like he did all his morning abulations at the kitchen sink. But yeah, I mean, I think that that whole scene coming back to the movie, they they have to have Paul's dad getting a doing. So you're sort of on Paul's side for what comes next. Yeah. You know, and the fact the 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 fact that to your point, it's Dennis Lawson. They, he plays the part with such charisma and charm and likability. It just enforces that message, you know? And say, it jumps around about a, a lot, so it's difficult to kind of go in a linear way. But of course, then the kind of middle scenes when he's. When he witnesses like the execution. 18 years old oh, or right, so. Okay. Well, I mean, you've got the execution, of course, yeah. which is yeah pretty bad in terms of, of seeing that. And then when he gets the money, that's quite exciting. But the. What I would say is the kind of biggest, the first maybe oh my god point is when he's at the party and the Banks brothers come in Mm -hmm. and he fucks off back to get the knife. And as soon as he left the party, my wife turned to me and said, he's going to get that knife. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I think. And then he comes back and just goes fucking John Wick and actually fucking scalps one of the guys. Yeah. Like, you know, quite horrific. And I'm presuming he never got caught. And then, of course, that's the other thing. Joy McAvoy just pops up as his sister. (laughs) He's never really explained who she is. He's just in this random woman's house and she's, oh, Paul, oh, you don't want to end up your, your brother. I'm really glad she's progressed well in her acting uh, into Two Doors Down. She's not very good in this film and is a very small part, but did it need that scene? To be charitable to her, you know, her lines, her lines that she's been given are fucking dreadful. You know, like they're, you know, I can see demons in, I can see demons in your eyes and all this nonsense. I mean, this is the same year that uh, she did Filth, which obviously was a much bigger Mm. role for her, you know. But again, you know, I think there's, there's some parts of the dialogue in the script in this movie which are just fucking dreadful, that being one of the worst parts. But um, the other bit that that bugged me was another flashback bit when he's thinking back to his two his two pals and they're talking about how they're going to live in golden castles and they're going to be kings oh and all this yeah Yeah, it's just come on but that the scalping thing i remember i knew that was coming when i saw the film because i'd read he talks about that in his book but if i remember i mean it's Mm. been it's been nearly 20 years since i read the book but if i remember correctly he was about that age but it wasn't a kitchen knife he had a a bowie knife you know like rambo's knife and that's what oh wow that's what he used to uh, scalp the unfortunate uh, brother banks and he was he was talking in that documentary about how uh, banks's mother stuck his head out the window so he wouldn't bleed all over the all over her carpet while she was waiting for the ambulance to arrive apparently <laughs> so oh well at least part of that's true then <laughs> if that is what actually happened yeah so to talk about the cast because we've, we've spoken about dennis lawson so let's move into the the kind of main area of the film so we have martin comston as paul ferris now we've seen him in a couple of things before mm-hmm. covered on the swally of course he was in filth he was in um barney thompson uh, 
Thompson. Uh, Sweet Sixteen, which is the main one, and yeah. Barney Thompson. Yeah. But this is a the kind of the second film we've covered that it's, it's it's kind of a main role for him, and you see how he has developed as an actor, mm-hmm. and you can't fault him really in this film. He is very good. I mean, it's almost kind of similar-ish to Sweet Sixteen in a way. The yeah. whole you know kind of young boy gets kind of drawn into it. And spoiler alert, I I watch Sweet Sixteen any day. Yeah, ahead yeah. of this. Yeah, yeah. But he is very good and he is very convincing and you do kind of believe what he's saying. You know, it, it, he does play a good role. I mean, his acting has progressed since then to now mm. even, but you can't really fault his performance and it is effectively what he's been given yeah, to exactly, deal with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. he's got, he, he had two line of duties under his belt by the time he, um, by the time he filmed this, you know? Um, so he was, you know, like when, we, when we saw him in Sweet 16, he was at the very... Like the very beginning of his career, hmm. um, whereas you know he's 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 fairly well established by the time this this part came up, and that, uh, apparently he was saying when he was being interviewed about the film that he had he had always fancied playing Paul Ferris because uh, growing up in Greenock, not a million miles away from Glasgow, you know he, he knew the story, um, but he said he had read that Robert Carlyle was going to play the part a few years before when he when he himself knew that he was too young, and then I guess uh, I guess that project never got off the grounds and it's and his chance came round again I mean yeah you know you're right I think he is good in it he's particularly good I think in the roles where he has to be threatening you know where he has to be aggressive mm. and whatnot you know I, th- I think he, he sells that pretty well and, and there's probably he probably knows some pretty he's probably knew some pretty kind of tough guys and stuff when he was a kid kind of growing up up there but you, you nailed it when you said before like the scripts some of the lines that he's given particularly when he's talking about civilian it that mm. it feels it feels awfully American that I can't imagine any mm. Scottish gangster referring to people who weren't involved in the in the underworld as civilians. You know, it's it's a wee bit like um, and we'll come on to it in a minute. But all of uh, Junior Thompson's like Godfather and Mafia references, which are which are you know by by all accounts that was how he was. You know, um, but uh, mm. but no, he's good and he, you know he's he's a he's a physical guy, uh, Martin Martin Comston, and you know I, I, have you noticed how in almost everything every scottish production he's in he manages to get a chance to show off his uh, footballing ability it's a scene in sweet 16 when he's when he's kicking the ball about with wee callum on the on the yeah. seafront and then there's a scene in this when he's he's kicking the ball about with uh, his son oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah never noticed that yeah you're right <laughs> oh, i forgot about that yeah oh, very true um right let's get out the way uh so i never realized arthur thompson was irish <laughs> So Patrick Bergen as Arthur Thompson and he just makes no, I I mean we can't really say anything because of course we're a big advocate of Sean Connery and of course he plays the best Irishman in the world Mm. in The Untouchables. Patrick Bergen just, is just like ah fuck it, no I'm just going to be doing he might as well be going, oh Begora what what, what are we doing here, my lad? You can't be doing that, my lad. It's yeah, he doesn't make any attempt to hide his Irish accent. I mean I don't know, I felt like when, when he has to, when he had to sort of talk kind of quietly and menacingly you know he was better you know is it you know his accent is but it's piss poor but to be fair to i thought is i thought it was a wee bit better when he was when he was being threatening but whenever he had to raise his voice he would to your point there was just there was no there was not even a hint of a scottish accent there and mm. the, there's a line that 
I mean, if this was in the script or whether he has ad- ad-libbed it, I've no idea. I've lived it, I've no idea. But he says after the um, the first attempt at the Banks's in which uh, Paul and Fat Boy have to drive away at high speed mm. and they come back yeah. to the pub to tell Arthur what's happened. And he says, he says, well, they're well and truly shitting themselves the new. <laughs> they're well and truly shitting themselves the new. They've locked themselves away and are refusing to come out. You should have taken them out when you had the opportunity, Paul. And I'm just like, oh, come on. I mean, Patrick Bergen is a good actor. And I think I think he looks the part. You know, he, he doesn't look mm. anything like Arthur Thompson. And he's he's far too much of a good looking guy to look like Arthur Thompson. But, uh, you know, but he does look he does look the part of a sort of older criminal controlling stuff from the pub. And, you know, the dynamic between him and Stephen McCall as his son is, is good. But then, but when you see the woman who plays his wife, like Mrs. Thompson, mm. She looks about twice his fucking age. So she does. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, she does look a lot older than him. Like, really a lot older. Yeah. And that's it. as you say, he is believable as this kind of Glasgow, not godfather as such, but this yeah. elder kind of, you can buy him mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You know, in terms of, yeah, his wife is, yeah, twice his age. And it's just the accent that puts it off for me. And it, like I say, he's very good in the film and he's believable and he does have that little streak and you see in terms of the I think it's the meeting between him and Martin Comston after Martin Comston's got out of jail mm-hmm. and they meet in the car park and he does deliver this kind of speech and very believable in terms of there and you do kind of get the tension there and as he drives off you know Martin Comston's like it wasn't him mm-hmm. you know yeah, he yeah. didn't he didn't set me up and you do have the, the believability in that I just wish he'd attempted a bit a Scottish accent in some ways but yeah yeah. Um, I'm going to go to John Hanna now because okay. I'm purposely leaving Stephen McCall to last okay so John Hanna as Tam McGraw and again John Hanna big Scottish actor yep. did it ever really happen for John Hanna I mean four weddings and a funeral he blew up Yep. He he became, you know, massive after that. And then, of course, he was in Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yep. Which, actually, slight guilty pleasure of mine. Yeah, I, no, I quite like that it's a, good, it's a good movie. I, I always like the concept of uh, Sliding Doors. You know, like the... Con- like the mm. I mean, to be fair to John Hanna, you know, I think probably the, the, the biggest things I think he's done in terms of commercial success is that he was in all those mummy films with uh, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Of course, yeah. And, you know, I mean, those movies are sort of taken for what they are I think the first one's actually quite a good film I think it's just, it's the usual rule of diminishing returns from later on but I was I, I remember seeing the first one at the, mm. I remember seeing the first one at the cinema and uh, quite enjoying it but I think the, the other big success for him in, is the Spartacus TV show that he did two series of mm. like the incredibly bloody um, and violent and sexy Spartacus show. Um, but you know, I think I think probably you're right. I think you know the, the kind of mid nineties. You, you know, you think maybe you you and McGregor has maybe maybe eclipsed them. Do you think maybe some parts that you and McGregor ended up doing might have gone to like the Pillow Book or stuff like that? I don't know. I think I, I guess I mean John Hanna obviously came to prominence in terms of Four Weddings, where he played yeah. a very particular character. Yeah, yeah. And but then yeah, as you say, probably what two years later, you and McGregor. Gregor, yeah. then Shallow plays Grave. another very particular yeah. character and kind of eclipses and, and becomes the, the hot young. Yeah. Because I guess Four Weddings was all about Hugh Grant. But mm-hmm. John Hanna, in my opinion 
did get a lot of credit for his role in that. The scene that, uh, the, where he reads out the the poem at the funeral um, yeah. is uh, it's brilliant. Huge. It's, yeah, incredibly affecting, emotional uh, scene yeah. that he leads in what is in what is essentially a bit of a broad romantic comedy, you know. Oh yeah, forever, and I'll always remember. You know, John Hannah deliver stop all the clocks. That's yeah, the, that's the one. Know, yeah, yeah. That that is the poem. Yeah, and and remember that it, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think he's had a good, you know, he played uh, Rabus for he did. Uh, yeah, he did a the... few years, I think. I, I couldn't take him serious as this hard gangster, Tam McGraw. And really, if, if you're going to be threatened by someone, I'd, Patrick Bergen, I can probably yep. imagine being a bit like, sorry for spilling your pint, mate. Sorry. John Hanna, I don't know. I mean, when he does attack that compare with a champagne bottle and he does say, now that was fucking funny. <laughs> that's good. So maybe you could believe him as like a little kind of sinister hard man but I don't know I'm just not buying it he is from Edinburgh and as the guys in chewing the fat once said very memorably hard man for Edinburgh you can't get a hard man for Edinburgh <laughs> you know I, I agree it's difficult to buy him as a, as the sort of Tam McGraw gangster but you know he does bring something I think to the to the uh, scenes and that he's in and it, it, Tam McGraw by all accounts was reputed to be somebody who was quite powerful and made a lot had made a lot of money illegally but who wasn't very cl- who purposefully stayed away from you know the kind of the, the violent the more violent aspects of his chosen uh, profession um by by re- by reputation that uh, that could be a lot of bollocks it's just obviously what you hear now that i can believe and that i can understand and i can yeah. get because he is kind of more of a manipulative character yeah, because he yeah. does have paul ferris on his side he's got arthur thompson jr on his side he's as we find out towards the end he's it's been in collusion with arthur thompson yeah. you know effectively the whole time he does have and to be fair actually towards the end when paul Ferris is in jail and he comes in to kind of do the big reveal. Yeah, yeah. And he loses it. You do kind of believe in a way his his unhingedness there. Yeah, That's yeah. him kind of letting it out. And yeah, actually, brilliant acting towards the end when he's on the plane to Tenerife. He's, yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? I've changed my mind. John Hanna's brilliant in this <laughs> take film. It, take it all back. I like John Hanna in this film. The part he plays, and I don't know if you ever watched those Spartacus things. I suspect that you didn't, knowing that it doesn't really fall in your, no. into your wheelhouse. But, um, you know my taste. Yeah. But he, he plays the owner of the, the sort of gladiator school. All these guys that have been forced to be gladiators. He's got aspirations to be part of the kind of higher social class in Roman society. He's he's manipulative. He's uh, ruthless. Occasionally very violent. Occasionally a total fucking shite bag as well. Um, he plays the part really really well. Um, maybe maybe that prepared him to be for the more for the more a more subtle portrayal of those qualities and. Um, was Tam McGraw and the wee man. So I guess you, what you've been waiting for is talk about Stephen McCall, I guess, right? I mean, unless we've missed somebody, have we? How, how fucking good is Stephen McCall? <laughs> yes, like, he's so good. He's just such a good actor. And in this film, he's brilliant. I, I want more Stephen McCall. Yeah. I know Arthur Fatboy Thompson Jr. is a is a horrible character. Yeah. But Stephen McCall is just fantastic. And I think it's maybe because we've just covered him last episode in mm. Barney Thompson. Yeah. Just to see the difference in character and the range. And it's, ah, oh, I want more Stephen McCall in my life. He's so good. Yeah. And he steals the film for me. As a character, probably a dream to play in terms of just being this hyped up, you know, a coward kind of mm-hmm. daddy's boy. But yeah. 
trying to act the hard man. He's not a hard man at all, though, is he? No. You know, I think he gets, like all the actors in this movie, like some of the lines they're given to say, as we've discussed earlier on, are fucking just rubbish. But because of the way he plays the character, so like um, when, he, when he's saying things, when he's in the car with Ferris and he's saying things like, you know, I want their fucking eyes in a jar. Because of how he's established that character to be, as as you just described, this uh, wannabe fucking next in line for the big seat godfather of Glasgow guy that's obsessed with all these American mafia movies and stuff. You can sort of imagine the character saying that sort of nonsense anyway, you know? Whereas if, you know, if Fer- if like, Martin Compson had had that to say as Paul Ferris, you'd be like, right, this script, this script is fucking dreadful. But it's just, it's testament to his ability as an actor that he can take these wishy-washy lines and deliver them convincingly as that fat boy character, you know? I think though his introduction sets the tone. First time you see him, he's sat at the table with a guy in front of him. Yeah. Martin Compton walks over and he shows him a can of CS gas and says, do you know what this is? Because yeah. I see gas, and he just sprays it in the guy's eyes. Yeah, who runs out of the pub in <laughs> agony, and instantly you're like, okay, this guy's a little bit unhinged. Yeah, yeah, but as you say, he does. He delivers those lines exactly as you've said that I want their eyes. Mm-hmm. And when they go to get the the fifty grand from the guy in the string vest, yeah, yeah, and you know, again, Paul Ferris is a master negotiator. You know, give you a week, it's fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. You know, everyone will be fine. I'm a nice guy I'll take care of you it's all okay and then fat boy just comes up do not thank me cunt <laughs> slices him with a razor yeah again that line in the wrong hands could have been a little bit hammy it's it's believable and Steve McCall was fantastic uh, obviously a massive coke head but in real life, apparently a massive smack head, which oh, oh, yeah, I believe that. I believe wouldn't so. Have, yeah. Wouldn't have lended itself to the film quite so well, I no. would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Heron addicts aren't quite as animated <laughs> as a rule. No. It does have uh, one of what I think is one of the best lines in the movie, and I suspect that it's probably ad libbed. And it's after he just does a big fart in the pub, and he says, "Better an empty house than a bad tenant." <laughs> Can you believe the modesty of this guy? Takes out half the opposition single-handed and calls it rumours. I like your style, Paul. I really do. Oh. <laughs> Better an empty house than a bad tenant, eh, Paul? I'm here to see your father. The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if that if that was in the script, then yeah, fair enough. But I, I feel like that was maybe a wee a wee ad lib. What, judging by the rest of the script? <laughs> exactly. I imagine it was an ad lib, yeah. yeah it yeah. doesn't seem like, yeah, it was written. Yeah, you're right, it probably was. I, I don't know, there was a couple of a good lines and a couple of yeah. things, but yeah. Yeah, right, maybe some of it was uh, ad-libbed there. But yeah, he's he's very believable, and I, I, I'm led to believe that he dressed, the real-life junior, dressed more in tracksuits rather than suits. So I wouldn't imagine he was so obsessed with the Godfather as, or maybe he was, no, in I, terms I, of the real-life character. But I mean, I'm trying to record, I, I, I probably should have reread the book, uh, but I feel like Reg Mackay, who I mentioned earlier, unfortunately passed away in 2009, um, at a relatively young age, um, but he was a formal, a, a former social worker who then became a writer of both fictional and true 
crime in Scotland and in Glasgow and I've read a couple of his books I've read his book about Arthur Thompson and I've read obviously The Ferris Conspiracy I feel like I've read one or two other ones as well and he I'm sure that um, they write about Arthur Jr. as being very obsessed with crime films maybe maybe not The Godfather as Mm as such but you know I mean at, at that era so at early 90s you can imagine that you know he's probably going to be into movies like Goodfellas and uh, probably The Godfather you know because it is a classic um, so. I would have thought it was more kind of Scarface Scarface yeah the way he's portrayed in the film yeah you know, it, maybe Scarface might have been more appropriate but yeah well, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, but you're right. Stephen McCall is brilliant. And I remember feeling really pleased when I... Because st- I didn't know an awful lot about who was in the film when I first watched it. Apart, obviously, Martin Comston was on the cover of the DVD. Like Patrick Bergen's name was on the banner as well. Um, so when, <laughs> when Stephen McCall appeared on screen as um, as, uh, as Fat Boy, I was I remember feeling quite pleased about that. Thinking, all right, okay, I could... I could probably watch this to the end. <laughs> I was more delighted to see a young Triple H as one of his bodyguards <laughs> that he tells to fuck off. He looks exactly like a young Triple H with a blonde ponytail. <laughs> Spot on. Um, so, to talk about the Glasgow send-off that he gets, uh, I believe it's one in the head and one up the arse. Yeah. Is that a, a, a general... Is that correct? Apparently it's true. The only reason that I know that that is true is because I remember what a documentary about crime in Glasgow and you know they talk about like the ice cream wars and the Paul Ferris Arthur Thompson stuff and I remember that being described as a, a genuine not necessarily as a Glasgow send-off because you know if you get shot in the arse or up the arse with a shotgun you know like, I think it can probably go either way depending on the spread of the pellets and whether you pull through or not but apparently it is something that happens in the echelons of the Glasgow underworld so obviously Paul Ferris was found not guilty of the murder of Arthur Thompson Jr. Mm-hmm. And they make that very clear in the film in terms of the person that shoots him is about a foot taller than Martin <laughs> Comston and speaks in a very gruff voice. Yeah. Do you think they did that on purpose to... That's Paul Ferris saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Do you think he did it? I wouldn't like to say either way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in Scotland, don't forget. <laughs> don't, don't know who this is. This. Um <laughs> I mean, you know, this episode comes out. I think the day you fly back. Okay. Um, I don't know to be honest. I think Paul Ferris might like everybody to think that he might have done it. You know, Um, in the book there are some, you know, like it's sort of written as a just a regular autobiography. I, you know, when I was this age, I went and did this X, Y, and Z, blah blah blah. But there are some little passages that are in italics that describe people being shot. The shooting of Arthur Thompson Jr. being one such little passage, and it's sort of inferred in the book I guess that you know it felt like it was kind of inferred that Ferris himself had carried out all these shootings that are described in these little italic uh, passages but without you know because it you know I think you're supposed to think well you know how, how would he know because it's not written like it's they like, those little italic passages are written like a wee story like you know like Arthur Thompson got out the car and was walking blah 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 and uh, the sh- the shooter arrived wearing like a ski mask and a whatever um, and, you know, fired, etc. So I don't know. So this is basically the same as the OJ book 
if I did it, in which he effectively describes if he was to commit the murders, how he would have done it. Is that Paul Ferris's kind of way of saying I did it or I, I, if I did it, I, mean, I would have done this? I suspect that Paul Ferris probably knows who shot Arthur Thompson Jr. Like, you know what I mean? I'm sure a lot, I'm sure that probably a lot of people know exactly who shot him. It will never ever be revealed because those things, you know, just, they, they, they never are. I mean, there's a guy, um, there was a guy called Billy McPhee who was the, he worked for Tam McGraw and in 2002, he was, he had been watching Rangers at Ibrox. He came back uh, to Bayliston or somewhere and he was watching the rugby. I think Scotland were playing rugby later on that day in a Brewers Fair on a Saturday afternoon and somebody ran in and stabbed him to death about 20, 25 times oh, wow. and ran out again and by all accounts the guy that stabbed him wasn't wearing a anything it made no effort to conceal his face apparently I don't know if this is true but apparently he scattered hair and other bits and bobs around the scene from other people uh, to confuse the police because it would leave multiple DNA traces around and um, and made his escape and you know I don't think the person who committed that murder has ever been identified or charged or convicted and you've got to imagine a Brewers Fair on a Saturday afternoon probably packed right and nobody gave the police any information whatsoever so so I don't think we'll, we'll, I think we'll never know I have to ask why do the Banks brothers in their safe house have such a big letterbox that a fucking grappling hook can fit through it and rip their front door clean off the size of that letterbox was massive a fucking cat flap is it for drug parcels to come through or yeah it's, it's an industrial sized letterbox they were expecting Amazon packages before Amazon were around. What the fuck? I can fit a grappling hook through that. Yeah. Sorry we couldn't deliver your package. It wouldn't fit through the letterbox. Don't talk pish. Everything fits through that letterbox. Uh, I also quite enjoyed the Smash advert that was on the TV just before, oh, the, yes. yeah. just before the grappling hook and the and the shooting started. The other part I had a, a slight issue with, and I, I did watch an interview with Paul Ferris, so it was kind of explained, right. but not not really, but you might know a bit more about this than I do in terms of if you've read the books and stuff. So the um, the car bomb which kills Arthur's mother-in-law. Right. And so initially, when you see the car bomb go off, the whole car fucking goes up in flames. Yeah. Like, it comes out both windows, the windscreen, the back door. The whole, that that inside of that car is, is completely, mm-hmm. yeah. So now I did watch an interview to say with Paul Ferris and he did say that Arthur always had a driver. Yeah. So they put the, the bomb under the passenger seat. Right, right. Thinking that Arthur would be in the passenger seat. So it just so happened that evening Arthur was driving, mother-in-law in the car, so obviously she gets the brunt of the blast. However, when you see Arthur in hospital, he's basically just got like a little bit of a sprained wrist and he's holding his wrist. He's got no burns. Yeah. It, like, there's nothing there, nothing on his face, nothing on his arms. He's literally just been in a car bomb that has killed his mother-in-law and all he has, he's got like a tuba grip around his wrist and he's like, oh, it's a bit sore. <laughs> oh, oh. Really? It, if you've just survived a car bomb, is that all you're going to have? It's because you're going to have like a little burn on your forehead or something. I guess it's just because he was fucking hard as fuck. <laughs> explosions just explosions will only sprain his wrist and nothing more. But that would have that would have improved the film so much more though if he turned into the Dark Man of Glasgow <laughs> and he'd become Dark Man and sort of 
sat yeah. in the, the corner of his pub. <laughs> and, you know, in fact, now I think about it, actually, even in the end scene when he's dying, uh-huh. does he not have a pint of Guinness in front of him? He does, yeah. It does. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, mate. When when my number is called, I hope that I'm sitting in a pub with a pint of Guinness in front of me. The only thing that I would wish for that Arthur didn't get is that we hopefully I'd be able to take a couple of mouthfuls off it before I checked out because Arthur's pint is untouched when he's uh, when his heart gives up. Yeah, but Arthur's an old school guy, and in that pub back in that day, would it not be a pint of like eighty or seventy shilling yeah, that he would have in front of him rather than a pint of Guinness? I don't think so. I mean, Guinness has been around for fucking hundreds mm. of years, isn't it? So, um, well, I would, I would have thought that uh, Arthur Thompson was probably like a seventy or eighty shilling man. You know, maybe like pint of Youngers, something like that, tartan special. I remember reading in one in the Arthur Thompson book about the about the car bomb. I'm sure I think like the the, the car was described as a wee uh, two seater like sports car, like a wee MG or something like that. Um, and oh. I don't, and I think that happened. I mean, I'm I'm trying to remember. It's been so long since I read those books, but I think it happened like quite a long time before he was involved with Paul Ferris. You know, so I think there's a wee bit of um. There's a wee bit of poetic license being taken where it happened to happen like after Paul was being round for a wee uh, Sunday roast, you know. The uh, the pub, I can tell you the pub that is quite a famous pub in Glasgow. Um, it's called the Proven Mill Inn. It's uh, it's actually not a million miles away from um, where my house in Glasgow is. Um, it's it's mm. far it's far enough away, um, but it's not that far away. And the house that um, the Thompsons lived in, just along the road from the pub, there's a there's a row of about four or five houses that back on to uh, Ridgery Cemetery, <laughs> depressingly. And um, Arthur Thompson's house was called the Ponderosa and basically he had he had two of these houses that were kind of pushed together like sort of knocked together um yeah quite a quite a famous wee place to sort of drive past um in Glasgow go. so yeah overall thinking about back to initial viewing and watching it again what do you think I mean it's it's okay I, I sort of you know like kind of, kind of living in Glasgow when I moved when I first moved back there you know I I, I, I sort of saw all these people initially as being quite glamorous and all that kind of thing and um, for you know in my, my kind of early 20s but as I got older you know when you, you do come into contact with people who, who are either on the fringes of that kind of thing or who claim to be and and, you know, I think if you if you take the movie for what it is, just a, a sort of crime thriller, it's a it's a decent film, right? It's pretty good. There's a, there are there's some good performances in there. You know, it's quite a good story. But in terms of kind of kind of glamorizing these guys, you know what I mean? I mean, they're not they're, like these guys aren't fucking criminal masterminds or geniuses like you know every one of them is either dead or, or has been in, in jail for huge parts of their life and uh, I just you know what, I, th- I think the thing that kind of bugs me a little bit about the film and it's not really the fault of the film it's the fact that there'll be people who will talk about how oh that bit in the wee man that that never happened I was there that was a lot of shite do you know what I mean and, <laughs> and I just I, yeah just like fuck off you know what I mean nobody gives a fuck you know what I mean lived in the same street your entire life so it's okay I mean I mean, the movie, despite any misgivings um, that we may have about parts of it or whatever, it, it won the, the BAFTA Scotland Cineworld Audience Award uh, at the 2013 Scottish BAFTAs. So it's an officially an award an award 
uh, winning film. But something that I found quite interesting, I don't know if you found this in your in your research, but the movie is directed by a man called Roy uh, Ray Burdis, who used to be yeah. an act, who was an used to be an actor. And I was looking at his credits, and he plays. I don't know how familiar you are with the Ray Winston movie Scum, but he plays yeah. he plays Eckersley, and Eckersley is one of the three guys. The other one, the other two, played by Nick Cotton of uh, EastEnders and Phil Daniels, the three guys who initially antagonise Ray Winston when he first comes into the Borstal. He doesn't... He's the one that kind of... I think he, he he brings a radio into the young guy who ends up killing himself near the end of the film and says, oh, here, you can borrow this radio and then reports that the radio has been stolen um, to the to one of the wardens and gets the young guy into trouble. So that was, I quite liked that because, you know, the, the Scum's uh, is quite, it's also a very classic British film and as, as, hard, oh, as, as, hard, as, as, as hard as it is to watch in parts, even now, sort of 40 years on, it's, um, it's still brilliant. You know, it's a great movie. I still can't watch the potting sheds. No, no, it's uh, horrible. It's horrendous. No. Yeah. So it was quite interesting to you know he's actually he actually had quite a prolific, um, not like massive kind of breakthrough roles, but they've got a lot. It's got a lot of credits on his uh, IMDb. Old uh, Eckersley, as he will forever be known. <laughs> Ray Burnett, he directed Love, Honor, and Obey. That's right. Which is yeah. Kind of another British gangster film, and he was a producer on The Craze. He was. Which yeah. Kind of the wee man is almost like a kind of low budget Scottish version in terms of it's a sympathetic kind of viewing of a Scottish gangster. Because, I mean, the craze, let's face it, they weren't very nice, but (laughs) the film The Craze, starring my cousins, Gary and Martin, does portray them as kind of a kind of sympathetic kind of yeah. guys you know I'm actually I haven't seen The Craze for a long time might need to watch that again I've not seen it I mean I found that after watching um, Legend with uh, Tom Hardy playing both brothers mm. which which is a good movie I don't know I mean it's it's hard to think of The Craze and The Craze is a good film but it's hard to think of them as like the same characters because they're so different you know and the thing mm. is about the thing about Gary and Martin Kemp is that they're both good looking guys especially back then in the, in the 80s you know what I mean and the, when that film came out they were so at the height of their of their popularity but there's, a, it, there's another wee connection to the craze albeit tenuous uh, and apparently and you got to take this for what it is it, this could be just absolute bollocks but Arthur Thompson is uh, reputed to have done business with the craze in the 1960s between London and Glasgow so you know whether that's true or not is not for me to say but that's certainly what Reg Mackay said in his book so so criminal connections <laughs> we will take that as Paul Ferris Gospel, which is what I think we'll refer to that to from now on. Okay then, shall we run the wee man through our awards? Yeah, okay, let's uh, let's put the wee man through the coveted Culture Swally Awards. So the first one then, I've got the Jake McQuillan, your T-Zoot Award. So I had two potentials for this. What did you have? Um, I went for the scalping. <laughs> scalping. Because I thought that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a hell of a, your T-Zoot so yeah, I went for scalping. What did you go for for your two? I I was between either the flashback scene where Paul Small Paul um, witnesses Arthur executing the guy in the kind of warehouse. Yeah. 
or what I the one that I think on reflection I'll give it to when uh, Tam McGraw bottles the wig wearing comedian in the pub that felt like a quite a Jake yeah Mc- you're right quite a Jake McQuillan thing to do you know yeah that is quite a yeah you're teasing you're right yeah I think yeah I'll give you I'll give you that actually okay um the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Again, I was swithering between two possibilities. Who did you have? Uh, Was it Martin Comston and Stephen McCall? (laughs) Well, because James Cosmo tends to play sort of important but smaller parts and a lot of things, apart from Braveheart, of course, in which he's... uh, uh, I went with either Joy McAvoy, who, you know, seems to appear in quite a lot of Scottish things these days. Um, True. And I put Dennis Lawson as well, but I I can't really think of a a great deal of Scottish stuff apart from, like, Local Hero that I've seen uh, Dennis Lawson appear in. I would say I would say John Hanna and Claire Grogan have been in more things yeah. than uh, Dennis Lawson. You know what? We didn't mention her enough on this. Let's give it to Claire Grogan. Yeah, for yes. being a legend in altered images and Gregory's just girl. being a general Scottish legend. Yeah. 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 Claire Grogan's a sort of when you see her being interviewed and stuff, she's a sort of person you wish was like your mum's pal who would come round, yeah. you know, when you're a kid who'd come round like on a Friday night for a glass of wine and a and a blether with your you know your mum. You know what I mean? That's 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 the sort of that's the kind of person I always take in a Claire Grogan to be probably quite good to sit and natter to, you know. That's a perfect recasting actually that we should have covered on Sunshine on Leith. Jane Horrocks that should have been Claire Grogan. Yeah, that's yeah, you're, you're spot on because we know that Claire can sing as well. And um, yeah. well, Jane Horrocks can sing, maybe just not so much in a Scottish accent, you know. But she's actually a good yeah. singer, Jane Horrocks. Claire Grogan would have been better, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so I've kind of taken a leaf out of your book for this next one because, um, like, on the last podcast uh, about Barney Thompson, you awarded something to the Nudity Award, the Ewan McGregor Award for Nudity. So, in the last episode, you you had like the dick in a box at the beginning of the film, <laughs> and the bare arse on the desk. So I've gone for Ferris's executed pals that are left in the car next to the funeral procession because if you've noticed they've been undressed and I, I, I think also the guys in the bar with the murderous little people I think uh, I think the guy hanging up had been undressed I can't remember what did you have for I that I did in? not I, I had none for that <laughs> because I did not notice that at all <laughs> the the best thing I could think of was at Arthur Thompson's party right the one of the guys pulls his trousers down to show his scars on his arse and that was the that was the best I could come up with so I will bow to your attention to detail on that and I'll I'll take that for the the Begbie award for uh, efficient swearing I pretty much I just wrote down I've written down here almost every time fat boy opens his mouth (laughs) yeah (laughs) I can go with that actually yeah I would go with that or I would go with uh, Arthur's mother-in-law and it's just the way she delivers the line and it's the whole kind of speech about look her Edinburgh accent she was born in the fucking gorbals <laughs> yeah and <She's... laughs> the way she delivers that that, that actress um, has been around I'm trying to find her name here She's a very good actress. I always remember her as being one of one of the ultimate victims in the Taggart drama where it, it transpires, sorry, spoilers, that all these old people have been being murdered by two young uh, teenage girls. 
um, who on the, there on the pretense of being kind of home helps and stuff. I can't find her name now. But she's a yeah, she's a great actress. So she is. But she's one of these again. She's she could be a she could be a contender for the Cosmo Award because she pops up in a lot of things. But yeah, that's a great line. Um, oh, there she uh, maybe Eve Pierce, I think that's her name. But yeah, that that's a good that's a good example. But also like when they're I kind of mentioned it earlier when uh, when Stephen McCall and Martin Comston are in the car and they see the Banks brothers. But just before that, when and, um, you know, like uh, fat boys shouting at the guy to go out the road, and he's like, "Just what? Run the old cunt over! You're doing her a favour, and all that." It's just like, just like about a sort of like forty seconds uninterrupted volley of expletives. <laughs> we are going to show Glasgow what happens to cunts that fuck with the Thompsons. This city needs to be sent a fucking message. Do you hear what I'm saying? A fucking message. The banks. Fucking blanks. Dead men walking, bunch of smelly bastards. I tell you what, Paul, I want their eyes. <laughs> know what I'm saying? I want the fucking eyes in a jar. No saying much, Paul. Huh? Quiet man? <laughs> Come on, you! Fucking move! Fuck's sake! <laughs> Just knock your old cunt down, you did a favour! <laughs> <laughs> okay, next then, so an archetypal Scottish moment. What did you have for this? I kind of struggled with this because there's so much, but I went with having a snug yeah. in the bar as an office for a gangster. Because <laughs> we've seen it a couple of times before. We've seen it in Down Among the Big Boys. Yeah. And it is kind of a, a snug bar. I don't know. Is that a thing in England? Because I know, like, my Camerons, where we used to go a lot, they have a snug bar. Yeah. And a lot of bars in Scotland have a little snug. But I don't know if they have that in England. So, and and I guess it's always kind of the, the gangster's meeting ground. They do have it in England, unfortunately. Unfortunately, the reason I know this is because I remember seeing a very, very old, like black and white episode of Coronation Street, and the old lady characters in that in that episode were sitting in the snug because one of them took a heart attack and died in the snug. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's not it's not um, particular to Scotland the snug bars. I mean, I had um, uh, okay. I had uh, shot up the arse because <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> it seems to be, you know, by all accounts, it's a very Glaswegian thing. To do in well, the, we'll give it to you a shot up the arse. And then the last award then is the is the Sean Connery Award. Who got to go home and fuck the prom queen? Who won the movie for you? I feel like we'll be aligned on this. Stephen McCall wins this film for me. He is me too, absolutely yeah. fantastic. Me too. Yeah, geez, just like every scene he's in, he just, just chose the scenery. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he was brilliant, in it. but not in a bad way. I know what you mean. Like chewing the scenery can often be a, a kind of description for someone like overacting and hamming it but he's just he's absorbing that role so well but he he does kind of stick out a little bit in the film but Ah, he's so good. He, I mean, he is in a scene which uh, I don't think would ever happen in Scotland, and that is when he's he's standing on the roof with John Hanna on the roof of a pub in Scotland, doing bumps of cocaine off his hand. I mean, that powder would be blown away as soon as, as, soon as he tipped it out. <laughs> You're not telling me that 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 it's cat like there's it's calm enough on that pub roof for the uh, old fat boy to be doing cheeky bumps and offering it to Tam McGraw. <laughs> oh well, okay, well. Does that conclude uh, the wee man? I think so, it does. It does. That was my choice, Greg. So uh, it's your choice next time. What are we going to be looking at next time 
on the Swally. Well, I was conscious of the fact that you chose a movie this week that you hadn't seen before, and it's been a wee while since I've chosen something that I've never seen before. So for the oh. next, I've chosen an- another film for uh, the next episode. Um, not by design. It does have Martin Compton in it. But I don't think in as big a part, which sort of gives him a bit of a hat trick on the Swally. But I've chosen 2006's Red Road with uh, Kate Dickey, Tony Curran, uh, Natalie Press, and Martin Compton. So sorry, it's, it's not the Martin Compton season on the culture swelling it's just unfortunate that um, I made my choice it does seem re- like it and just realised a second ago that he was also in this film <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I've never seen that either Whoa, so wow be, uh, yeah is that a swally first that we've uh, we're both watching something we've never I seen don't before I was there something we did before we hadn't seen no I don't think so yeah I think this could be a swally first brilliant in terms of something neither of us have seen oh fantastic well first of all I want to give a big shout Shout out to our Instagram follower, Strong Henry. Greg, you mm-hmm. called him out on the last episode. It is. And you said that he likes all our posts and he never... You wondered if he listened. And yeah, I just... I we just got some it Instagram was, messages. Yeah, it was just a wee test to see if, uh, if he was a listener or if he just enjoyed our social media content. You know? Well, he does listen. So, and he has been very active on our Instagram page. So thank you very much, Henry. As we said last week, we love you and we can't wait to taste your scotch pies. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you want to be like Strong Henry, then you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. Or if you have any news stories that you've seen you'd like us to review, or any shows or films you'd like us to review, then you can get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail. Com. Greg, website, should yep. I ask? Well, the website is uh, we're, we're a bit closer to uh, getting it back up and running. It's been a few, it's been a, it's been a, a week or so since I've attempted, um, so I've had some things going on. But um, if you want to visit us online, you can find us at cultureswallyblog.com. Uh, links to all the episodes are there, uh, including this one, plus um, some links to some of our favourite uh, news stories. And you can also get in touch with us through there as well if you, with any suggestions or comments on what we've done so far. Oh, 30 episodes. 30 episodes. Um, this is, last one was number 30. This is episode 31. Um, I think I think we've forgotten to thank somebody, actually, before we say goodbye. We need to thank the lady who got in touch with us about Sunshine on Leith. Our second email um, that we've had in a year since we started doing the Swally. It comes from Sue Jellif. I hope I'm pronouncing your second name right, Sue. Apologies if I'm not. She wrote to us on September the 1st to say that she watched the film Sunshine on Leith while staying in Edinburgh with my with her youngest son and his girlfriend. When she was out searching for some info about the film afterwards, she stumbled across her podcast about it. She just finished listening. Uh, she does agree with most of our conversation about the movie. She agrees that it is a musical which just about manages to hit the spot despite being on shaky ground at times. I think she she might have put that a little bit better than maybe you or I did. She finds it interesting that we both chose the song Let's Get Married uh, in the pub as our favourite rendition of a Proclaimers hit in the movie. Because for her, that was her her least favourite. Come on. She said it's an occasion when the cast burst into song for no particular reason. I think pretty much every number in the movie 
the cast burst into song for no particular reason. <laughs> I think we did say that that was our least favourite part about the film, when they burst into song for no reason. Whereas in the pub, it kind of felt a bit natural. Yeah, the a sing-song with a few pints of tenants. She says that she enjoyed It's Over and Done With, um, and she, she thinks that that's a good sentiment to adopt in life but she thinks that we missed a trick mm. Nikki because we didn't really mention the young uh, John Spence who plays Ali's nephew uh, she thought that he was brilliant and he brought some really bright moments to the film so uh, well thank you for writing in Sue yeah yeah, you're right actually I don't remember speaking much about John Spence but yeah it was quite a nice little touch in we the film we didn't and, and funnily enough I remember writing in my notes it, whoever plays the wee lad is brilliant and yeah. I forgot to mention him when we were doing the podcast so apologise for that yeah he yeah. was great but yep yeah, th- thanks for writing in Sue sorry that we almost forgot about you there <laughs> alright thanks Sue okay well I guess that review is over and done with uh, <laughs> if you'd like to review, leave a review or send us an email then please get in touch okay until next time then okay until next time <laughs>